Hello and welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, a podcast which aims to root you in Christ. Through His Word, together, I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we continue in Luke chapter 11, part 2, with an episode entitled, True Followers. And what we're looking at is what does it mean and what does it look like to be a true follower of Jesus? And before we jump into the text, I just want to take a second and say thank you so much for listening to Rooted Together, and I hope it has been impactful for you. I hope it has been a blessing for you. I hope that you have enjoyed digging through the scriptures with me, and if you have, please leave a review. It really helps more people find it. If it's been a resource for you, please share it so that others can also use this resource If nothing else, just reach out to me and tell me, hey, what have you been reading? What has God been saying to you? I love to hear from people on how God has been moving in their lives. Now let's jump back to Luke chapter 11, part 2. We start out with the sign of Jonah, this mysterious sign that he brings up to the Pharisees. Now it's not all that mysterious once you start looking at it, but it says, when the crowds were increasing, so notice as we get closer to the cross, the crowds are not backing down, they're only growing more and more. He began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. Now, that's a little cryptic, but he'll explain it more as he gets going in this teaching. But we do see, first and foremost, that we hear we hear Jesus not giving easy sermons. He sees the growing crowd, and he does not welcome them with open arms and say, I'm going to give you easy things to believe, easy words of encouragement. Don't worry about your sin. Just, just believe. Just just love each other. That's not the message Jesus taught. Now, he does want us to love each other. He does want us to believe in him and follow him. But notice, he gives this crowd, this growing crowd, a very difficult sermon. He says very clearly, this generation is evil. That's not what you say to a crowd of people who have gathered to follow you if you want to keep growing your audience. You don't look at them and say, you're all evil, and you're all asking for a sign, but I'm not going to give you a sign except for the sign of Jonah, which, by the way, is a condemning sign. This is a sign of condemnation that he will continue to draw out as he begins talking to them. He does that by actually going before Jonah and says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation, and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So the first thing Jesus does is he says about the sign of Jonah, he goes back to a story about the queen of the south. Maybe we think from Ethiopia, we're not really sure, but she travels from very far to talk to Solomon, and he knows that his audience knows about this story. He says, behold, she will judge you because she saw Solomon's wisdom, and yet here's something bigger, something greater than Solomon is standing right before you, and you reject it. You miss it. Therefore, you will be condemned. And he continues on with the sign of Jonah, and he says, the men of Nineveh, will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented 
at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, if you remember from our reading of the book of Jonah, Jonah was not so great. This isn't a reference to Jonah being a great prophet. He was not a great prophet, but it's the idea that Jonah is, you know, you could attach him to him, the responsibility, or at least the, the credit of he helped a whole nation repent in just a few days, and that Jonah shows up in Nineveh, and he says, repent for the king, for the judgment of God is at hand, and 40 days you'll be destroyed, and even the king turns around in repentance. And he says, Nineveh, those people who did repent, will rise up in condemnation because something greater than Jonah is here, and you're not repenting. So what is this sign of Jonah? It's this. Jesus is preaching repentance. Will they listen? And he's saying, you're not listening. Therefore, the sign of Jonah will be, I'm preaching. I am calling for repentance. The sign of Jonah is that just like Jonah called for that, and those people repented. If you don't, how much more will they judge you for not repenting when something greater than Jonah, someone greater than Solomon, greater than Jonah is preaching to you to repent, and you're not listening? Jesus is calling them to repent. He is calling us. Luke records this. Why? To call us to repent. Will we repent Will we hear the words of Jesus saying, stop doing what you're doing, follow me? It's a condemning sign. He's the greater Solomon. He's the greater Jonah. He preached repentance. Will we repent? Then we keep going further and this kind of odd teaching on light. And he says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket. That makes sense so far but on a stand, so that you, when you enter the house, you may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest, you, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as a, when a lamp with its rays, gives you light. That's kind of odd as well. As we read that, we go, okay, I mean, I, I get it. The the light, the eyes are like the lamp of the body. They illuminate our path. Therefore, if we are, you know, using our eyes to view the darkness, if we're not looking at God, we're looking at darkness, our, our light, our lamp is dimmed, and we're in a, in our whole body is full of darkness because we're not looking toward, looking at God. You see, this is calling us to listen to God's Word. I know we're talking about eyes, but as he does this, it's referring to listening. I know that doesn't it's not a one-to-one metaphor here, but what Jesus is saying is listen to God's Word, God's light, His Word. Do we see it or do we hide it? If your eyes are your light, are you viewing God's Word, which is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, or, or are you closing your eyes away from God's Word, not listening to God's Word? What does Jesus say? Then you were full of darkness. If you were full of light, your whole body is well. If you're full of darkness, you're in great, great danger. So listen to God's word. It matters what you do daily. 
Are you daily opening up God's Word and reading it? Are you daily listening to God's Word? Are you daily praying, God, be with me, God, guide my steps? That's what it means, and that's what it looks like to have your eyes as your lamp, seeing clearly. If you're not doing those things, you are closing your eyes, or let's just say your lamp is very dim, and therefore your body is full of darkness. And again, John really, well, this is Luke, but John really likes the play of light and dark, it almost seems like maybe Luke talked to John and, and is referencing some of that. We don't know that, but we have this play, and, or Jesus-like, for that matter, like to use light and dark as, as a teaching tool, and Luke is locking in on that here. But the, the theme is, are we listening to God's Word? You see, a true follower of Jesus, as we read about the sign of Jonah, repents, and a true follower of Jesus listens to the voice of God, and we do that through looking toward God. This is like Hebrews when he, in 12, where he says, lifting our eyes to Jesus, meaning we have to lift our eyes to the, to the Christ. We have to follow him. We have to lift our eyes to him, read his word, pray, keep our eyes focused on him, keep our lives oriented towards Jesus. And again, the, the question is, will we? And then we get down to the blood cleanses, and this is important. The true follower of Jesus cleanses the heart through the blood of Christ. Is that what we're going to do here? And this is displayed outward and inward obedience. And this is probably the most famous part of this section. It's one of the parts I wanted to spend the most time on, but I also wanted to focus on what came before it to help you understand Luke is talking to, again, Theophilus. And so even though he's used he's using the Pharisees, Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees in this great crowd, he's doing it within the context of teaching you what it looks like, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So here we see that a follower of Jesus cleanses the heart with the blood of Christ. Now you can't ultimately cleanse your own heart, but you can go to the one who can. And Jesus is going to point this out as, as a Pharisee has invited Jesus over to his house. And so while he is speaking, verse 37, a Pharisee asks him to dine with him. So Jesus goes and he reclines at the table. Now what Jesus does is like a living parable here. He doesn't cleanse himself. He doesn't wash his hands. He does not wash his feet. And that's normally the cultural norm. That's what you do before you eat. And the Pharisee locks in on this and says, you didn't wash your feet. You didn't wash your hands. What's going on with that? You should know better. And Jesus, or here Luke actually says, and the Lord, the Lord Jesus said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but the inside you are full of wickedness and greed. He, he's giving a living parable here. You're right, I didn't wash my hands and feet. You know what? You wash the outside. It's, it's just like you washing the outside of a cup, but you don't wash the inside, and therefore it's still dirty. And, and he's saying, that's like you. That's like you, not just you in your, your cups and your plates, but you spiritually. You wash the outside. You, you do the ceremonial washing, which you're now condemning me for not doing. Here's the issue. You do the ceremonial washing, but the cleansing of the heart is ignored. It's, it's saying you do all the right things outwardly, but on the inside you're full of wickedness and you're full of greed. This is a big problem, right? We need Jesus to wash our very souls, our wickedness and our greed. We're like that dirty cup, 
We need, we must have Christ and his blood to cleanse us. A true Jesus follower does this. A true Jesus follower seeks this. We come to Jesus saying, I am sinful, I am wicked, and I am broken. Cleanse me. Cleanse my inside. You see, we, we see these people. We are these people. We are these people when we look in the mirror and we say, I'm doing the right things. I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm, I'm tithing. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Yeah, we're doing all the right things, but on the inside, we're full of greed. On the inside, our hearts are wicked. Our minds are not focused on Christ and the things of God. We're focused on all these other things that we're doing. And what Jesus is saying is, it does not matter if you're doing the right things, if your heart is sick. God will say this to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1, where he will say, who, is, who asked you to bring these sacrifices, these trampling of my courts? Cleanse your hearts. And what he's saying, by the way, God asked them to bring the sacrifices. What he's saying is you're bringing the sacrifices, you're doing the ritual, but your heart is sick, and I don't want it. I don't like it. And what God, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is you, you do all the outward cleansings, but the problem is, the issue is your heart, your souls are broken and you're not dealing with that. You see, God cares more about worship than empty giving, and we see that in the next little passage. He says, you fools. I mean, he's taking this very serious. Did not he who made the outside also make the inside? Meaning both matter. But give, you give alms, those things that are within, and behold, everything is, is clean for you. He's saying, Give his alms instead of tithing your things, instead of giving of your things just as an outward show, give of your heart, and behold, everything will be clean for you. Meaning, the giving of your heart initiates the cleansing blood of Christ. We, we come to God, and, and what does it look like to be cleansed? It means we do and we give of ourselves. And there's the beauty, and Jesus saying, I'm here, I'm before you, I'm about to give my life and my blood to forgive you give of your hearts, and it will be cleansed. He calls his disciples to give of ourselves, and he will cleanse us. We will be clean in the giving of our hearts following Jesus. And if we don't, it's the idea of the Pharisees here. And we're about to see these invoked woes here. He'll give six woes to the Pharisees and to the scribes. He says, but woe to you Pharisees, you tithe mint and true uh, and, and rue and every herb, and you neglect justice and the love of God. You see, we see here, he's, he's talking about giving alms. You give the alms in, of your heart, you give your, your very life, and it will be cleansed. Here's the issue is they're giving their tithe. Tithing is good, by the way. It's not a bad thing, and Jesus is not saying tithing is bad. But God cares more about worship than empty giving. He says, you are giving your tithing, yes, you're tithing mint, you're tithing rue, you're tithing, tithing every herb, but you're not giving and tithing justice. You're not longing for, you're neglecting instead the justice of God. God cares more about justice and love of God than he does simply giving things to him. He doesn't need what we have. God doesn't need us to tithe so that he can have resources. He owns everything, the cattle on a thousand hills. He does not want you to give with an empty heart. Now, that's not an excuse to say, well, then I just won't tithe because my heart would be empty if I did. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying if you're tithing and thinking, 
I'm giving to the church. In this case, the Pharisees. I'm giving, I'm tithing my stuff. I'm good. I don't need to do anything else. I don't need to care about the justice of God. I don't need to care about loving God. I'm doing all the outward things. He's saying, no, God cares more about worship than he does empty giving. Don't give with an empty heart. Care for God's justice. Care for loving God. And then when you give, and you will give, you'll do it with a full heart and a right heart. It will be accepted by God. Well, he continues on and says, seek God in humility and not the best seats. So again, here's another woe. He says, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and the greetings in the marketplaces. You love being longed for and looked after. You love having these seats of privilege, and you love people to look up for you and to greet you with special greetings because you're a teacher, you're a Pharisee, you're other than them, you're above them. He's saying, no, that's a woe. Cursed are you who seek those things. Instead, seek humility. Instead, seek the love of God. Woe to you, for you are unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. In fact, you're dangerous to people. You see, the, the believer who shows up to church every Sunday and he longs to have the special title. He longs to have people greet him and, and put him in positions of authority and, and positions of privilege, and people look at him and go, you're, we honor you because you're this great teacher, great preacher, great, te- uh, great Sunday school teacher, great deacon, whatever the position may be. They, they go after the titles. And he says, you are like an unmarked grave. People walk over you. They fall in. They die because of you. You are actively hurting the church by being this way. So if that's you, stop. Stop seeking the honorific titles. Stop seeking the positions of honor and the special greetings you might get. Instead, seek humility. Seek Jesus. That's, that's what he's calling you to do. Seek God in humility, overseeking the honorific things. Those, those don't save you. They don't redeem you. We continue on to the last bit. He now insults, if you will, the scribes, the teachers, the people who study the law. And he rightly goes, yeah, you're right. You should be insulted. Because this scribe comes up to him and says, hey, I'm insulted by you saying that. And Jesus says, you're right. I, that it's an insult to you, woe to you as well, and he throws some woes at them, and he calls them to teach and teach rightly. It's important for so this is for you, those who teach. Watch this, and it's important. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of you they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell it to you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers. These are the teachers here, those who study the Scriptures. For you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. These are for the teachers. He says, you've taken away the key key of knowledge. You had the answers, you had the study, and you did not give it to your people. This is the teacher that has the true word of God, that has the word of God saying, repent and turn to him, and you, you don't give it to your people. You hide the key of knowledge. And he says, woe to you, cursed are you who do that. And you didn't enter into it yourself. You're not only a bad teacher, but you've kept yourself out. Those of you, and listen carefully, who teach the word of God, 
do it carefully. Do it with humility. Do not withhold the message of God from his people. If God has given you a message, even if it's not a welcomed one, even if you know it's going to be a hard message, you preach it, you teach it, because God has called you to that. Do not be like these lawyers who had the key to knowledge, and they've kept it, and they've hidden it from the people. He says, woe, cursed are you. So as we conclude this really heavy chapter of the Bible, it says this chapter acts as a mirror for us. I mean, don't read it and go, oh, those Pharisees, oh, those lawyers, man, they're bad people. I'm glad I'm not them. No, no, it's a mirror for us. Oh, that we would need and heed Jesus's warning and repent. Heed it. Listen to it. Act on it. Let us be on guard against such things. Instead, let us seek God. You see, as it's a mirror, we're to look in that mirror every day and say, God, am I repenting? Am I listening? Am I clean on the outside but dirty on the inside? Am I full of wickedness and greed? Am I worshiping with empty worship instead of loving you and seeking justice? Am I withholding information from the people I'm supposed to be teaching and discipling? And by the way, every believer is a discipler. Don't withhold the information that your disciples need. This is a daily thing. Will we listen? Will we heed Jesus' warnings? I pray that we do. I know this has been a heavy episode, but Jesus has some heavy words for us in Luke. Uh, chapter 11. And I look forward to joining you in Luke chapter 12 next time. I'll see you there.